Nonprofits do a really great job, better than many most other sectors, at sharing the stories of their impact, sharing the stories of their work. But leaders, nonprofit leaders, don't always feel comfortable sharing their own personal story, why they're passionate about the mission, even how they got involved. And I think part of that is they feel like maybe they're not allowed to. They think the mission is above all else. They Many times people are like, well, why would I talk about myself? Like, it's not about me. It's about the mission. I think that's very, I don't know. I think that's noble. But at the same time, what I know for sure is when you share your story and get into the limelight a little bit, it reflects light back onto your mission because people want to know the face behind the organization. Welcome to the Responsive Nonprofit Podcast, brought to you by Virtuous. Responsive nonprofits are the organizations thriving in today's ever-changing fundraising landscape, leading with innovation to grow giving and impact. Join us each week in spirited conversation with the leading voices across philanthropy, fundraising, and nonprofit technology. Subscribe on your favorite station or visit us over at www.virtuous.org backslash podcast. Welcome back. Joined here with my colleague Rob and co-host, and we're so excited to be talking with Tanya Bhattacharya today. Tanya, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. So glad you joined us. Really quickly, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I am a thought leadership consultant, personal branding consultant for social impact leaders and entrepreneurs. So what that means is I help people in the nonprofit space and social impact space really build up a personal brand, an influential go-to trusted voice in their niche so that they can drive change and raise revenue. Wonderful. Well, thanks so much. We're so glad to dive in and to talk about your experience, your background, your current perspective and expertise and what it means for nonprofit leaders and the social impact sector in terms of helping increase generosity in our world and building more resilient communities and building a better world. And often here at Virtuous, what we talk about is that giving is deeply personal. Giving is this deeply vulnerable, actually intimate experience that we give and honor our friends and our own stories and our loved ones when we make a gift and when we support a nonprofit and when we give up our time and our talent. And so where I'd love to just start is I'd love to rewind the clock and I'd love to hear more about your own personal story and what's your personal introduction into philanthropy that led you to where you are today. Yeah, I love that question, Brian. And as a storyteller, I really appreciate the opportunity to share my own story when I spend so much time helping folks shape and craft their own. So I like to say I grew up in the nonprofit community. As soon as I graduated from college at UC Irvine, I actually, even before I graduated, I started working for a nonprofit here in Orange County, California. And that program that's still around. It's a nonprofit addiction treatment center for women and their families. And so, you know, it was my first job. I didn't know much about anything. And so I was tasked with finding impact stories for our annual reports and our fundraising materials. And so I would sit with our patients and talk to them and get to know them and have them tell me their story and share what this experience has been like so that we could utilize it for different ways of showing impact. But very quickly, it started becoming something different than that. Because as I sat with our patients, I realized how often their story was very much rooted and still in this shame and this guilt and this feeling like they were a bad mom and these really deep struggles that they were facing, that they felt about themselves, right? And so kind of naturally and organically, it became a process by which we 
changed the, not the trajectory of their story per se, but really what their story was rooted in. So we looked at how they were displaying courage and resilience and how they were changing their lives for the better. We changed the focus of their story. And it may sound like a little thing, but I have been grateful to get to stay in relationship with some of these women over the 12 plus years that I've been involved with that organization. And many of those women that we did that storytelling work with went on to become advocates for recovery. They became advocates for their own lives at their job, in their families. And really what that experience showed me was that the story that we tell about ourselves so much influences the ways that other people see us. I went on in the nonprofit space. I worked my way up in that organization. I eventually became the executive director, did a lot of fundraising. My expertise is really in fundraising. And I found how often nonprofits do a really great job, better than many most other sectors, at sharing the stories of their impact, sharing the stories of their work. But leaders, nonprofit leaders, don't always feel comfortable sharing their own personal story, why they're passionate about the mission, even how they got involved. And I think part of that is they feel like maybe they're not allowed to. They think the mission is above all else. They Many times people are like, well, why would I talk about myself? Like, it's not about me. It's about the mission. I think that's very, I don't know. I think that's noble. But at the same time, what I know for sure is when you share your story and get into the limelight a little bit, it reflects light back onto your mission because people want to know the face behind the organization. So that's kind of the torch that I'm carrying now as I have left full-time fundraising about two years ago and started this consulting company. That is so cool. Like, <laughs> that's so inspiring. Like, hearing the stories of these women and helping them to maybe tell a different story, not only to themselves, but to the people around them and the confidence that is built up there and the empathy that is explored, I'm sure, in your relationships with them. Super pivotal into what you're doing now and, and ultimately leading the organization. My question is so, was this right out of college? And so you jumped yeah. into the nonprofit. Jumped straight in. Did you know you were going to go to nonprofit work? Were, were there moments or pivotal things in your adolescence or college that kind of led you onto this trajectory? Is there anything there? Or was it more just like, I just had a calling and just jumped in straight ahead? You know, I always thought I was going to become a teacher. That's what I always thought I was going to do. College was ending. I, was, I graduated in 2009 in the midst of the last recession. It was hard, people that I graduated in 2008, a year before me, still hadn't found roles. And so I was like, what am I going to do? And so I just started really peppering out my resume, just hoping the right thing would come up. And actually, I only ever had one interview and ended up staying at that company for you know 12 years. And I think it's a testament to the work that they did, that they still do. So many of us fall into nonprofit work by accident, but I think that it there's for all of us in nonprofit work, whatever our skill set is. I just happen to love kind of storytelling and and I think, you know, in a way, I think as fundraisers and as nonprofit professionals, we are teachers too. I, I got to teach a lot, especially because the cause that I worked on was so stigmatized. I mean, addiction, women's addiction, moms with addiction, pregnant, I mean, people. And that's another piece about the power of storytelling is as these moms and as these women would share their stories, their personal stories, people's perceptions of what addiction was started to change. I know it did for me because I don't have the allergy to drugs and alcohol. I'm not personally in recovery. And when I went for my interview, I had a perception of what the place would look like. I just thought it would look a little run down. Like I thought there'd be people hanging out with like brown paper bags. I was very naive and I just didn't know. And a lot of the societal stigma that surrounds mental health and addiction was just very much entrenched in my mind. But once I got there, it was beautiful. There were literally butterflies flying around because they have butterfly plants. And 
during my interview, I actually saw a woman who I knew there from class. She was also in my psychology class. And I was like, oh, hey, are you? I thought she was my competition for the position, right? I thought she was also applying. But she was a patient there. It was a huge eye-opener because that was when I realized that addiction is very much an equal opportunity destroyer, mental health in general is, and that the perception that we have of it as a moral failing is just so incorrect. And I think storytelling is a huge piece in overcoming that myth. Because another piece is that I saw the women that I worked with share their story. People's minds started to change. Our donors' minds started to change. Our community members' minds started to change. They saw it as the chronic disease that it was and not a moral failing. Wow. Thanks for sharing that. That's big. It, I know when Brian talks about generosity is very personal, right? And it's, mm. I can just see that through your story of like meeting that person that you knew from school, but then also just hearing the stories of these other women. I mean, that unites and draws us together as people. And I know for my own self, it's easy to categorize like, oh, that's the stereotypical, you know, recovery center or whatever it's supposed to look like. And in your mind, you think you know what it looks like. But then once you get in and actually meet these people, it's like, oh my gosh, they are human just like us. This is, They have exactly the same issues as we do. And yet we have way more in common than we do different. And I think yeah. the ability to understand and hear those stories and then be able to help tell those, especially for you is growing your way up to be an executive director of that company and or that nonprofit and sharing those stories to then connect with other people's stories to then bring them in and the resources that are needed to keep impacting more people is just, that's hugely encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I think a lot of times we get hung up on like, we really want to share data. We really want to share the behind the scenes, jargony, internal stuff that's going on. And there's a place for that. I'm not saying that data is not important, but the thing is, I think that we need to wrap that data around stories so that it can be heard by the people who can really help us make shift happen. Because you're 100% right. Stories are such a, they're connective tissue, right? Something happens physiologically, like in our brains, when we hear a good story, it stops being just words. It transports us into that narrative. So it's like we're there with that person. You know, it's, it's magical. Yeah. I love this thread. I feel like there's a couple rabbit trails that I could go down. And I think one that just, this is just a comment I want to make that really resonates is I also started early in my fundraising career at a mental health nonprofit and mm. wonderful organization called To Write Love in Her Arms. And oh, yeah. they taught me not only the power of what it means to share your story and how the power of vulnerability breeds vulnerability within others, but they also just taught me a grand lesson in, in vernacular and mm. words that we choose to use to help erase stigma and to help uh. uplift others was a really important lesson that I think still is informing my path forward today. So in my heart, that so resonates with me, that story you shared about how addiction and mental health is an equal opportunity to s- destroy her and that storytelling is so powerful in overcoming that myth. That's Uh, maybe one of the most beautiful ways I've ever heard overcoming Mm -hmm. stigma positioned. So thank you for sharing that. And I think something that I want to play with is I'm putting myself in the shoes of a nonprofit executive and a nonprofit leader that's trying to lead their team, that's trying to create deeper connection internally so that their team can be unified and inspired to move forth on their mission. And I think about this idea of story and authenticity and vulnerability and One of the oldest human traditions, you know, go back and we were sitting around a campfire telling stories before we even put things in writing. And you've adopted this analogy around the campfire circle. And Mm. I was wondering if you could peel back the layers around 
what is the power of a campfire circle and what does it mean for storytelling and what does it mean specifically for a nonprofit leader that's trying to create deeper connection with their team? Yeah, I love how you set that up. When I think of the campfire circle, I'm really almost comparing it with a boardroom table because what I'm trying to do, like my personal kind of vision is really replacing the idea of a boardroom table as the ultimate space of leadership. Because I think, you know, when you think of a boardroom table, it's this esteemed, venerable place we're all trying to get to, but there's only so many seats and the people who are there decide who get to be let in. It's not as inclusive. And that results in competition, people with sharp elbows, you know, trying to make sure that they're the ones at the table. So I think of it as a campfire circle because there's unlimited seats. There's always more space for us. A campfire is where we share our stories, both the scary stories and the good stories. Cause I think sharing scary stories is an important part of this too. We can't just share the shiny, we're so great stories. It's, you know, the stories where we're screwing up and learning from them that I think do really well, that I think have the most power for change. And it's where we huddle in community. When I think of a campfire circle, we build community around a campfire, you know, and we have since the beginning of time. And so I think that's the model of leadership and change making that I really want to champion. I think that's where things happen. Change doesn't happen in isolation. We need each other to make this happen. And we need all of us. We need we need our funders. We need our community members. We, need, we definitely need our staff. I love lifting up our staff as subject matter experts in our space. I think it's important for everyone to be able to see the faces behind the organization so that they can build trust in what we do as an org. And so that's not just the ED. It's not just the ED who should have a face and a name and a brand and a voice. It's all the different people within that organization who I think can show up at the campfire and share the stories, which will just get more and more people enrolled in your mission over time, because that's what builds trust, transparency. So I'm totally following. I love the illustration that you're making of a campfire circle there. But so what does this look like? You did all this in the nonprofit. You ended up leading as the executive director. You're fundraising. You're telling stories. You're helping elevate these other people's life who may be at disadvantage or in power positions of weakness to help share their story, to get more people involved. And so now you're taking those learnings and, and passing them on to other nonprofit executives or other people that are aspiring to be in the position that you once were. Well, like, tell us more about that. I'd love to hear Yeah. And maybe I can answer that at first with a little bit of a story of how storytelling, it's very meta, I know, but how it was able to help us become such a powerful fundraising machine. So before I became the executive director, I had a really amazing mentor. She's still my mentor, to be honest, but she was the executive director for, you know, 15 years. And so I very much learned under her and she had the trifecta, right? She had all the credentials, all the letters next to her name. She had tons of experience, 30 years of experience in the field. started working in the field when she was 18. And she had the lived experience of being somebody in long-term recovery. And so that's what I call the trifecta. Like she had everything. And from the outside, nobody would know this, but she had a lot of imposter syndrome, self-limiting beliefs, really these voices that many of us have, like, who am I to get in the limelight, right? Who am I to share my story? What if nobody listens? What if nobody cares? Like, what if my story isn't good enough? You know, our inner critic starts to get very loud as we start to step into that limelight. But together, we really worked on getting her story out there in a bigger way through podcast interviews, through panels, through op-eds. You know, we got a couple op-eds in the local paper and really worked on her thought leadership externally so that others would see her as she was, which was like a true just go-to voice in her space. And, you know, it took time. This is a marathon, not a sprint. It's not going to happen overnight, but 
I'd say within 90 days to six months, and then exponentially after that, people would just start approaching us. As a fundraiser, as as a major gifts officer at the time, I didn't have to knock on so many doors or keep asking people, hey, do you know anyone? People would come to us because they, yeah, yeah. It was like, it felt magical. It felt like serendipitous, but it's not. It's just the natural byproduct of being out in the community as a go-to voice in your space. People would call us and be like, hey, so I read this op-ed. Can I come take a tour? Or other facilities that were potential referral sources for us would read something that she wrote in a trade publication and like call us to see how they could replicate what we were doing, this unique thing we were doing. So it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And so I've seen the power of really building your thought leadership and naturally becoming that go-to voice. PR helps, all of these ancillary things help, but everybody these days have the digital tools they need to build a platform on their own through LinkedIn, through podcasting, through all of these different kinds of things. So to answer your original question, I've seen the power of thought leadership and storytelling. So now really my goal is to first show people that by telling their story and really tapping into their passion, their credibility, and their expertise, they can build trust and community to imagine a better world together. They're drawing in the right people who can help them make that happen. And first, people just need to realize that that's possible because there's a lot of self-limiting stuff that goes into it. There's a lot of scheduling stuff because we are busy. People are like, when am I going to find the time to post on LinkedIn? That's that's uh-huh. silly. But once it becomes a habit, once it becomes a habit and just part of your daily schedule, it, it, it just happens. And then the last part of it is strategy. Like, what do we do? Because it's easy to just throw things at the wall to see what stick. But there is a strategy right behind becoming that thought leader so that you can get visible over time. This episode is brought to you by Virtuous. Donations should be a celebratory moment, not just another transaction. With Virtuous Giving, you can create personalized and frictionless online giving experiences with tools like branded donation pages, smart gift arrays, wealth and social scoring, and integrated payment processing so each donation is meaningful and full of gratitude. Want to learn more? Get a personalized demo today at virtuous.org slash demo. That's virtuous.org slash demo. I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, Tanya, where were you when I was running nonprofit? (laughs) 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 I've run like five different nonprofits. And what you're saying is completely true to my story because you're like, yeah, 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 I know, I know you can get marketing out there. I know we can get speaking requests. I know we can do social, but I don't have time for that. I got to do all this, this stuff. I've got the board on my back. I've got money problems. I've got, you know, all of the yeah. logistics, the, the fires that just keep coming and getting in the way and the hurdles. And I can't ever get to that. But yeah, if I had a coach helping me along the way and saying, no, 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 this is super easy. Here's, here's how we do this. Here's the playbook. Let me jump in there with you. Let me get into the foxhole with you and help you with this. That would That's massive. I, that would have been a huge, huge help. Yeah, you know, and and as you said that I was something sprung into my mind which is that I think it's it is obviously very important for the executive director or the CEO or the founder to really be out there with their thought leadership and they're super busy. And so I think we can also activate our board members, you know, because they're so entrenched in the community. They're influential people in the community. And more than likely, they are happy to be utilized in this way, you know, because sometimes board members don't really know exactly where they fit in. And some of them, they can really shine in this role in being not a spokesperson per se, but really sharing their own 
personal passion of why they're involved and sharing that with their community. And over time, you'll start to see that the people in their network then start to show up and asking how they can get involved, you know? So yeah, activate your board members if you're super busy. Activate your subject matter experts inside of your organization so people can see the faces behind your organization. It doesn't just have to be the ED. It can be your whole org can lean into this. Yeah, two things. I love the idea behind anyone in the organization can do it. I love this methodology of leadership that's called conscious leadership. And it's the, mm-hmm. the, the premise of it is that a conscious leader recognizes that leadership is never about authority. It's about authenticity. Yeah. And mm-hmm. when we vulnerably put our full selves out into the world, we create a space that invites people to meet us there. That's how we uplift others. And that's also how we uplift our mission. I love what you're playing with there. And you mentioned really briefly something about, um, you mentioned habits. And I think Mm -hmm. for the really busy executive director and for the really busy board member and for the really busy fundraiser that's got a hundred phone calls to make in the next three days, what are your first steps, especially as you're coaching and working with your clients, what are some of the first steps and habits that you recommend people form to just get started? Because I think half of the thing is just overcoming the inertia. Yeah, that's so true. That's so true. Well, you know, as fundraisers, as nonprofit leaders, as people in the social impact field, on any given day, we are doing 12 things that are so incredible that our audience would really build trust in our mission had they known about it. So that's the thing. It's not like we need to go out and start doing amazing things. We're already doing amazing things. And so the thing then becomes getting into the habit of trying to come up with a thought around that and maybe snapping a picture like, just the other day, there was this big AFP event here in my area of Orange County. And I was so happy to see that so many people were talking about it on LinkedIn. I didn't go. I wasn't planning on going. But because I saw all these posts about it, I was like, I'm like in the mix. I'm seeing who's there. I'm seeing what was discussed there. And so getting in the habit of documenting what you're up to and knowing which things are really going to like build trust in your audience and build community. Because again, I can't say this enough. A lot of people are like, well, I don't have time for this. And the reality is you're already doing the things. So just grab a quick snapshot of a colleague while you're at the event, while you're at the conference, while you're on a Zoom call even, and just do a very, very quick, it can be three sentences, especially at at first. Sometimes shorter is actually better. You don't have to write a whole long thing. And just kind of share about why the thing that you just did is important to your mission, what you got out of it, and then maybe ask your audience a question. The first time you do this, this might take you 30 minutes because it just feels a little scary. It feels a little new. It's a little bit like, oh, I don't know about this. But you know, the third time you do it, the fourth time you do it, you can just like bang it out on your phone real quick. And then it just becomes a habit. And you can even like every week on a Friday, look back at your week and think, what happened this week that was really neat? and supported my mission and that I can tell a very brief story around and that maybe I did in community so I can tag other people and give them a shout out on LinkedIn, right? And if you get into the habit, like I have Wednesday morning as my day where I'm very intentional about sharing a story on LinkedIn or getting out there on LinkedIn. So I only really have to think about it once a week. And I would venture to say almost any nonprofit leader can do something, can set aside 10 minutes 
a week to devote to this thought leadership work. And over time, if anybody's interested in habits, of course, Atomic Habits is just amazing. And he shares his story in that book about how if a plane leaves, I'm going to get the cities wrong, but if a plane leaves like LA and it's just like one foot off course, it's going to end up landing in New York instead of Washington, DC, because that tiny, tiny little piece over time results in this huge change. And so it's the same kind of thing. If you're not sharing really anything via LinkedIn or really showing up with a personal brand right now and just start to do like one post a week over time in six months, things are going to be hugely different. You're going to stay top of mind. And what comes from that is opportunities, funding opportunities, opportunities to be on panels with your heroes, potential clients finding out about you who would have otherwise have no idea about what you do. So yeah, I mean, just start small because that small ends up becoming really big over time. Compound effect. Love mm-hmm. it. Yes. Small little things compounded over time change the world. I love it. I've got a couple more questions for me personally that I'd love to dig in with you. One of them is, I feel like you have a very unique vantage point as your your own story, but then now your story is interweaving with other leaders around, I assume the nation that you're helping with to shape their voice, shape their story lead better in their organization. And, and just like you talked about with LinkedIn and the personal branding and all of that, that I know you're, you're working with and passionate about as you're surveying the philanthropic space now post COVID, right? And everything's changed and Zoom is everything and interpersonal skills seem to have gone down the toilet a lot of times in other places because <laughs> now it's all digital and virtual. What's your take? Are you encouraged by the changes that you're seeing? Do you feel burdened? Are there more opportunities or challenges? I just love to know your your personal thoughts on that because I think this is really your unique vantage point as we could learn something from that for sure. Yeah, that's a really great question. And I think I see... Of course, some negatives and some positives, right? You know, so post COVID, my experience is really all in the behavioral healthcare space, which really has been through a lot over the last two years from people not being able to travel in to go and attend residential treatment centers and everything going really telehealth, you know, funding models changing, a lot of folks retiring out of the field with new leadership coming in. I see a lot of transition. And I only say that I know that field. I know that's happening in that field. I'm assuming that that's probably happening in every field, you know, mergers and acquisitions. There's, it's a time of very, very rapid rapid change. And so what I'll say about that is there's a huge opportunity now to retell our story. Like any nonprofit leader who's listening to this, it's like, how has your organization changed since March, 2020? It's probably changed a lot, but are you sharing those stories with your community? Because if you're not, people are making up, it's just human nature to kind of just make up stuff. When you don't have information, you just make up stuff. And so if a longtime leader has left and you really haven't, like the new leader has not been branded or hasn't been out there, you know, that's doing a disservice to the mission, right? So that's one thing. The big positive that I see now that we're so digital first is it really opens up the door for collaboration. I think that scarcity is something that all fields deal with. Vule wrote a really wonderful piece that I still refer back to. He wrote in 2015, but I still refer back to it. It's about the nonprofit hunger games. And so often nonprofits are competing against each other for the same resources. But how can we collaborate and build strategic alliances so that we can do more together and as a result, attract more funding and get stronger and more powerful in service of our mission together? And I think that the post-COVID world has allowed us to do this more because now a nonprofit in 
LA can partner with a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., and they can actually do that remotely. The tools are there. The digital sort of fluency is there. There's a lot more available to us now that wasn't really available before. You know, I mean, we were just kind of experimenting in 2020 with our first peer-to-peer fundraising campaign. And People were kind of like struggling with the tech. Now the tech is so, people are so fluent with tech. They can just hop on a Zoom real easy. So there's a lot more available to us. We just have to be comfortable riding the waves of change because it's here whether we like it or not. The world is changing whether we like it or not. And so let's lean into tech. Let's lean into collaboration and community and realize that we are so much stronger together and really, really lean into this time of collaboration, I think. I think that's super wise. And virtuous, what we're noticing in a lot of our conversations is the changes that, like you said, it happened and it is happening no matter, we can't control that, right? So what is in our control and how can we posture and maneuver and iterate based off of what's happening in societal conditions around us? And so for many of the nonprofits we work with, this has been an opportunity to kind of have a a stop and take inventory and hopefully some mindset shifts on why did we do the things that we used to do and are we getting the results that we want to get out of that and use this as an opportunity to pivot or expand or just like you're talking about just the trajectory, just making it a little bit different to go get the outputs that we truly desire that are going to fuel our mission and help us reach our objectives. I love that point. I feel like we could talk about this for another hour and we are running short on time. We love to close with a final question, Tanya. And the question is, what does generosity mean to you? Mm, That's a great question. You know, I think generosity to me means really tapping into our innate gifts, whatever they are. And I think that we can reframe gifts from being just about time, talent, and treasure into whatever those are, right? Whatever those are. Maybe it's wisdom. Maybe it's a story. Maybe it's just a kind word. Tapping into those things and giving them so freely to others without worrying about who's on top, without worrying about competition, without worrying if there's enough you know, seats for all of us there, because there always is. There always is. So I think it's leaning into abundance and really just tapping into our inner gifts and sharing them freely. Mm-hmm. Good. A wonderful closing word. Thank you so much. Thank you for your gifts and what you are bringing to the sector and to enriching individuals' lives and enriching the movements and missions that you continue to serve. Where can we find you in the digital space? I'm most active on LinkedIn. So that's just my name, Tanya Bhattacharya. We could have a whole other conversation about, about LinkedIn, but that's where you can find me. And then my website is lumosmarketing.co. And yes, that is Lumos after the Harry Potter spell for illumination, because that's really what this work does is illuminate your mission. <laughs> love it. We'll I love that little that. wand flourish. Yeah, that yeah, was great. Right. <laughs> uh, I'm a Harry Potter nurse. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, here we go. Here we go. <laughs> and part two. Let's make a podcast really quick too. I want people to know about that. Oh yeah, the, my podcast. So I've got a podcast called The Campfire Circle, which is really all about storytelling, brave storytelling, I like to say, because it's about overcoming that inner critic that tells us that our story doesn't matter. And really, you know, techniques and tips and toys to really stand out as a thought leader in your field as a nonprofit social impact change maker. So check it out. It's available anywhere podcasts are available. And that's a wrap folks. Thanks for tuning in this week to the responsive nonprofit podcast. We are so grateful for your time. We know how busy you are and consider it a privilege to journey alongside you 
as you work to make change in our world. We believe in you and would love to hear from you. Projects and podcasts like this are only as good as the feedback we get, the guests who come on and share their stories, and the stuff that we talk about. So if you have an idea, know of impactful guests that we've got to bring on, or want to become part of the responsive community, check us out at virtuous.org backslash podcast and join the conversation with us. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite station. Now, go lead the change for good that our world so desperately needs to see. And we will catch you next week.